from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Chapter 11, he paid the muscle-bound beach boy two francs and dropped down on the striped mattress beside her. He felt faintly ridiculous lying on the beach in a suit. She did not move, but a voice came out from beneath the hat. Hello and welcome to the show. Uh, that show being for Christ's sake. And the book that we are focusing on, on our never-ending journey, well I guess we'll end at some point, through the oeuvre, oeuvre, of Michael Crichton, aka John Lange in this case. Uh, I don't know where that sentence started. I'm not sure how to finish it. Uh, help me out. Who are you? Uh, my name is Hunter and your name is you. Yeah, where was I going? I was going to say that we were reading Scratch One, I think. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Nailed it. Great start. And that today we're tackling the 11th chapter. The 11 of how many? Remind me, 25? Uh, 7,000. <laughs> I don't know. So we're still halfway through? <laughs> um, not quite. I'd say about 11, 20 minutes of the way through. Right. Is that helpful? Yeah. And guess what? We're hosting the show alone again. Well, you're not. You're, you're apparently eating something. Yeah, I've got some crackers here. I just couldn't resist. Mm, okay. Well, I'm, I just have a cup of coffee, so I guess I'm not alone either. I've got uh, some water mm, that I'm drinking mm, too, mm, mm. but uh, no, no alcoholic uh, beverages at the moment. Maybe, maybe next week we will we will return to drinking. Maybe we've both been stone cold sober this whole time. Yeah, we've been dry. We've been on the wagon. Where are we? What are we doing? What happened? What happened in the last couple of chapters? You where? Where is the, what happened uh, in the book to date? This is the first episode for the week. Come on, bro. All right, I have to summarize what's happened so far. Yeah, yeah, I did it last time. Okay, principal players, principal players. We've got uh, Robert Carr, Roger Carr, Roger Carr, Robert Carr, Roger Carr, Roger Carr. Is it Roger Carr? Yeah, Roger Carr. Roger Carr is uh, just an innocent lawyer who is trying to secure a villa for his client on the French Riviera. Unfortunately for him, he has been mistaken for an international assassin named Morgan uh, because he arrived in uh, Nice on the, on the flight that Morgan was supposed to be on, but wasn't, mm. for a reason that I'm not going to go into. And uh, uh, there's this arms deal that's, that's supposed to go ahead between Sweden and Israel. Facilitated by a bunch of Western governments. And uh, there's this uh, French-Algerian 
organisation that wants to foil the arms deal led by a sinister surgeon named Lissau. So the assassin that Carr has been mistaken for was tasked with taking out this uh, organisation led by Lissau. And uh, as a result, Lissau and co. also want to kill the assassin, who they think is Carr, but isn't. A bunch of shit has happened, um, and uh, Lissau has, has instructed one of his goons to uh, secure Mr. Carr, not kill him, but just bring him to him for questioning. Because he's exact, at this point, he's actually not entirely sure that this Carr fellow is actually the man they're after, right? Mm. Um, and uh, due to a number of amusing mishaps, uh, so far... <laughs> that's, that's certainly one way to put it. <laughs> so far, um, Brower's goons have been unsuccessful in, in securing our protagonist. And he's ended up uh, wandering around Khan. He's come across a girl who has a purse embroidered with the initials of a purse that he saw earlier somewhere mm. in the novel. In the uh, hotel where he was staying at. Right. He knocks down a woman who has this purse. It's probably the same woman, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, yeah, so so uh, he's he's on the beach, he sees this woman, and he uh, goes, hmm, mon chéri. Bang goes the gun, a man falls, scratch one, bad pros, good fun, hot sex, scratch one. So what's happening? They're flirting. Who's flirting? They are. Who are they? Car and the girl whose name we don't know yet. So, yeah, let's just be clear. The bulk of this chapter is uh, dedicated to, I guess, what Crichton thinks is witty repartee between this woman and our hero, Roger Carr. And I would say that uh, much of the dialogue qualifies as <laughs> execrable. I would describe most of it as incomprehensible, but yes, that's, that's another way to put it. I think both. Uh, I, I, I think that both can uh, coexist in this case. That's true. So uh, probably my favorite part of the whole chapter is when she says that he looks like an eleven-year-old baby. I thought that was pretty funny. Mm. Um, but yeah, they do flirting. He, there's some of that trademark uh, objectification, you know. Uh, and she reveals herself to be. I think what's what's easy to say, or, or what we can uh, use our, our big brains to determine is is his type, as it were. Because uh, basically she's a physical uh, match for the um, uh, big <laughs> boobed <laughs> protagonist of the last novel, whose name I've completely forgotten. Uh, well, there were many. Well, the, the one that ends up with uh, Jinx at the end. Jenny. The one, the one who kind of matches wits with him to some extent. Yeah. Um, and there's this sort of similar personality type. So I will say that although the dialogue in this chapter is is among Crichton's worst so far, mm. this, is, this is one of his more rounded female characters. <laughs> certainly certainly to, for this novel to date. Yes. Her name is revealed to be Anne Crittenden, which sounds like a fake name to me, but whatever. I've definitely heard Crittenden as a surname. Okay, I can accept that. I have not. Um, uh, And she is from your homeland and current place of residence, uh, the Jolly Isle of Australia. She's indeed. Um, So 
Car at one point is trying to place her, as it says, soft accent, which seemed American, though her vocabulary was more English. <laughs> I thought this description was very funny because uh, I do not think um, Australian accents see Americans. So <laughs> I thought that was a little strange. But for, I suppose you can excuse it by the fact that this woman grew up like abroad or whatever. She was a diplomat's daughter, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, they do a lot of talking. None of it is that interesting. Um, eventually... Exactly they, none of it is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, eventually, um, they agree to have a lunch date. And uh, because Anne is a semi-local in that she, you know, lives and works in Khan, uh, she, car depends on her to uh, to <laughs> choose a place. She chooses a place that's sort of um, out in the countryside. Yep. We are introduced to something that I'm sure will come back later where a Ferrari drives past them and Cara's like, oh, this makes you feel like I have a small penis. I think that was what the general vibe was, right? And also the driver of the Ferrari uh, acknowledged uh, the woman and she waved back. Yes. Yes, the woman whose name is Anne. Okay, uh, Anne, I already forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. I wonder, what, remember at the beginning of the novel where we're introduced to the guy at the car? Was that a Ferrari? So maybe it's that guy. That, that was my assumption as well, that it was the guy who uh, gets shot at. narrowly averted being shot. Yeah. Um, or doesn't he get shot and then... Actually, he gets shot, that, yeah, but yeah. wasn't killed. No, it was not a, uh, a kill shot. Before uh, they are side-swiped uh, by the Ferrari and uh, Anne's, um, I assume some sort of, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that she's some sort of spy and this is her, like, controller or whatever. There's a, a they, pa- they walk past a, uh, a woman and uh, Crichton writes this sentence, which I thought was pretty funny, or this paragraph. He's riding men proud, come on, let's hear it. Right about now, for crying out loud. As they crossed La Croisette in front of the Miama, Car saw a young woman coming the other way. She was sexy in a sort of hot bitch way, with long auburn hair, tight slacks, a very tight sleeveless pullover. But her walk is what caught his eye. She moved forward with her back arch, leading with her hips. He watched, slightly astonished. Sometimes I think I'll go nuts if I see another one, Anne said. The pelvic trot. Jesus. Carl laughed. Uh, and I just thought that was a really strange thing to insert into this uh, story, mm-hmm. this chapter. Um, but uh, if I could uh, use a little bit of, of theory right now, I think that Crichton is attempting to uh, disavow, both disavow and uh, indulge in his own, own misogyny here. Because he gets to have this sexist description of this woman, uh, but also be like, how those dumb bitches. But he put it by putting that in the mouth of a woman, it makes it sound more valid, I think, uh, hmm. which I think is pretty uh, gross, but also pretty funny because um, it's just a weird way to phrase stuff, I think. So let's skip ahead. So they drive to a little town nearby, right, for lunch. Um, can we just can we just enter into a segment immediately following your segment of Crichton Out Loud of uh, Crichton Havoc and Let Slip? Yeah, sure, and sure. I want us to start from what page is this? This is page ninety six. All right. And you're gonna be car. You're gonna be car. And I'm gonna be Anne. 
And uh, who wants to be the narrator? Because there's some uh, narration. <laughs> uh, I'll be the narrator. Well. All right. So I want us to start with I wouldn't after the uh, big paragraph. And uh, we'll go until I say stop. All right. So let's just establish that they're looking at they're looking at the the ramparts that surround this town, okay, this historical town, and go. I wouldn't like to scale that. That's not the voice. Set. I'm gonna. That's that? the voice I'm doing. I don't know, man. That's you can't, the voice you can't change your car I voice. I can't remember what my car voice novel. sounds like. I can't. It, I it's like this. I wouldn't like to scale that. Okay, okay. It's like a nerdy <laughs> voice like that. I wouldn't like to scale yeah, that. That's pretty much it. <clears throat> okay. Say that again. I wouldn't like to scale that, Carr said. It looks almost impregnable. Anne smiled slowly. Don't you know there are no impregnable fortresses, only those badly attacked? Carr gave her a quick glance, which she returned with startling directness. I th- oh, I got a hit. <clears throat> I can't. I can't do it. Um. I thought you were insulted. <laughs> I thought you were insulted. I am, but I can't help it. Do you know you look like a satyr? Tell me more. Not all at once, she said. They got back in the car and continued down the road. In the Michelin Guide, St. Paul gets two stars. And said. That means it's worth a detour. Three stars mean it's worth a journey. They think can is worth a journey. <laughs> she laughed. You really like cans, don't you? You really don't like cans. Say that again. You really don't. You really don't like cans, don't do you? <laughs> what time? <laughs> you really don't like cans, do you? No, she said. I really don't. Why not? Wait. She bit her lip. I can't. You can, but you can't, he said. Ah, stop it. <laughs> And said, laughing. That was terrible. A speciality, I'm afraid. Oh, dear. That's it. It's just a little sample of the uh, witty uh, <laughs> repertoire. That's, uh... Should we explain the joke? Because it might not have been that clear, uh, heard just orally. Um, but uh, our, no, our witty no, protagonist, Mr. No. Carr, said, You can C-A-N-N-E-S, but you can't. You get it? Good stuff. Alright, so uh, they do so for they uh, go eat dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um lunch, I believe. Yeah, sorry, lunch, my bad. Um then uh, I don't know, man. There was kind of a shocky revelation that I had of this chapter. That you don't give a shit about what happens in the rest of this novel? No, no, no. I had that revelation many chapters ago. <laughs> <laughs> chapter one. <laughs> yeah, the first sentence. Um, no, my revelation is that uh, I I had no idea that Car is so old. <laughs> that is just like be in his like twenties. <laughs> what what was he like forty? Okay, no, he's thirty. He's thirty seven. Thirty seven. Okay. 
uh, and is 29, which I also was surprised. By. I thought she, I figured that she would be younger, you know. Well, so did Carr. He thought she was 22. Yeah. Well, he thought he was young. she was younger than 22. Well, she was surprised also because uh, she starts speculating about what type of person he is because he's not married. He's 37. He's uh, traveling around exotic locales, bedding <laughs> beautiful women. I mean, he sound more like a, a loser than, he, than Crichton, I think, intends him to be. Well, well, she speculates that he could be an idealist, a misogamist, which I don't know what that is. It sounds like a compound word of two different words, an inveterate <laughs> playboy or a liar. Uh, those were the options she presented. Yeah, misogamist, that's weird. A bigamist who hates women, I guess. They have some idle chatter. Uh, that's about it, right? <laughs> Is there anything else you want to highlight? She does say... I wondered if this was, like, uh, self-criticism, actually. So she talks about the fact that she had been married previously um, and the guy she was married to was a writer, or thought he was. And I quote, He was a very self-important bugger and he made a grand impression on a girl of 19. Mm, I also thought that that was a uh, bit of self-criticism. Hmm. Should we look up Crichton's ex-wives and see if any of them were Australian? <laughs> uh, sure, I don't know how many of them have Wikipedia pages, so I think there might be a limited uh, amount of research I'm willing to put into this. I'm just going to type Crichton Australian wife, see what we get. <laughs> okay, that didn't work. You put, some, <laughs> put some quotes around Australian wife. Right, his first wife was his high school sweetheart. So presumably not Australian. Mm -hmm. uh, his second wife, who he married way after this novel was published, so presumably not. She also seems to have been American. I think all of his wives are American. I guess one of them is Canadian. Never mind. <laughs> I, I've learned that uh, James Mason had an Australian wife. Maybe that's why he's in uh, Age of Consent. And it was she that recommended Sam Neill for Jurassic Park. So there you go. There is an Australian connection. So let's uh, let's reenact the phone call between James Mason and Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Mr. Uh, let's, Spielberg! Let's 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 uh, like, end, let's end this podcast. Wife. <laughs> my wife. Uh, all right. Goodbye, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>